Amen. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Pastor Michael. Amen. I'm just going to come down, move this with you guys. Is that all right? Look at you eyeball to eyeball. Amen. How many are excited to be in God's house this morning? Truly is an honor and a privilege to be here amongst you. I want to thank Pastor Benjamin and Sonny in their absence for opening up the pulpit to myself. I don't take it lightly. It truly is an honor to speak the words of our Lord to each one of you. And uh, I truly believe that he's going to encourage your heart this morning. And I want to say not only do we have awesome pastors, but this is an awesome house. This is an awesome church. And um, actually, before I get into the message, I think it would be good for us to go back and look at what God has done even in 2012. God has done some amazing, awesome things in 2012. Come on, even if we start from the New Year's service, we're not having it this year, but last year, how many of you guys saw Lorenzo Artadi do his monologue? Was that powerful? Hey, man, I believe that people were touched. People that have never been to church were able to hear the gospel in a new way. It was such a powerful and awesome time. And then in February, we had our annual Couples Valentine's Banquet. How many enjoyed that? Many even of the singles were able to come and be blessed. Pastor Benjamin's uh, and Sonny's spiritual parents, Pastor Robert and Diane Daniels were there. And they spoke and and really blessed the couples uh, in our uh, Valentine's banquet. That was an awesome time. And even even throughout the summer, we had our normal VBS. How many took part in VBS? Was that powerful? Even at night, it was still a powerful time. Many kids and families in this neighborhood were impacted and they were changed. Some of them go to this church right now because of that VBS. Come on, praise the Lord. How many are excited about that? Hey, man, we had our Korea intern swap. Come on, they came down here and got some LHCC DNA. We mixed it in there and then sent them back to Korea. Hey, man, God is doing a powerful thing amongst us. And so I just want to encourage you to take time to reflect. We even had our family camp. Who went to the family camp? Our first Living Hope family camp. There we go. Hey, man, that was a powerful time. Now, myself and my wife, we weren't able to go, but we were able to send our daughter, Rumi. And she came back telling us of all the powerful things that God did in our family camp. And so we're so excited. I think one thing, to be honest, the highlight for 2012 for me is in the month of October, we sent our pastors away for the entire month. Come on, let me say that again. They went away for the entire month. That's never happened. In the life of Living Hope Christian Center. The entire, and not only that, we sent them with resources. Come on, they didn't have to worry about providing for their needs while they were away. That was such an awesome time. And another highlight of that time is so many sons and daughters of the house rose up during that time. Come on, David O. David O. began to preach and prophesy, and God stirred up an anointing of healing amongst us come on how many were there many of you were even healed as he was leading and directing us uh pastor michael here preached a message that is still being downloaded all over the world people in other countries are sharing it and liking it and being impacted by the word that he preached amen pastor joseph continued to set the standard doesn't he set the standard of excellence as a son in this house. And so we were just so blown away in 2012 by what God did. How many are expecting God to do even greater things in 2013? 
Okay, about 50, 50%. How many are expecting God to do great things in 2013? Amen, amen. Well, as we prepare to go into the word, I want to pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the privilege of coming together in your house, God. Lord, we thank you that each one of these sons and daughters of yours have come to receive from you this day, God. So, Lord, I pray that no one will leave the same, but that we would all open our hearts, open our minds, and receive your word with great faith. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, the hour is late, so I won't belabor your time, but on the way here, how many notice how beautiful it is today? Isn't it a beautiful day? You know, on the way here, my mind actually kind of started to trickle off to other places that I could be right now on such a beautiful day. Oh, nobody, no one else ever thought that. Okay, that was just me. That was just me. But let me ask you a question. Why are you here in church today? It's beautiful outside. So many other places you can be. Aren't the Raiders playing today? Oh, no, no, that's a away game. My bad, my bad. <laughs> but why did you come here? Really, think about that for a moment. Why did you come here? What do you expect from God? Now, if we will be brutally honest, many times we come to church out of religious obligation. Let's just keep it real. I've done it. You grow up in church after a certain point, you know on Sundays what? You go to church, right? On Sundays, we go to church. And many times I've gone to church with very little expectancy. Matter of fact, many times I already know what's going to happen before I even get there. Come on. I know they're going to have someone pacing back and forth in Sunday shift. There'll probably be someone here, here, and there. They'll get hoarse because they'll keep exhorting them to pray louder. About 11, 10, Charles will kind of meander up here, start fiddling around with his guitar. Come on. Whoever's on the keys will make their way to the keys. Service will start half-hearted. We'll say, come on, let's shout. Oh, am I saying this out loud? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think that was just me. But if we're not careful, we can come to church with no expectancy. Now, expectancy means to look forward to, to regard as likely to happen, anticipate the occurrence of something. You ever anticipated something was going to happen? You know, someone actually promised to do something for me. And I never even expected them to actually promise that thing to me. So when they did, I was quite surprised. And when they promised to me, they told me, on this day, I'm going to give it to you. And so then my expectancy started to rise. Ah, I know when I'm going to get it now. I'm going to get it on this day. And so I started crossing off days on the calendar. Yeah, buddy. It's getting close. And matter of fact, I always wanted this thing. And I never even shared it with anybody. And this person said, I'm just going to give it to you. How about that? You know, the day of, he called me and said, you know what? Something has come up. So I don't think I'm going to be able to give that to you today. My heart just sunk. 
Are you kidding me? Man, I wish you would have never promised it. I wasn't expecting it. But then you told me, and my expectancy started to rise. I could even imagine myself with that thing already. I wish you never told me. So many times we're like that with God. The promises that we read in the word, we're like, God, is it really true? Will you really answer all of my prayers? Will you really meet all of my needs? And to be honest, sometimes we get disillusioned. I want to go to a familiar verse of scripture, Jeremiah 29. Most of you can already quote it because you know where I'm going because you've been to church so many times. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I want to stop you from being too familiar with this verse for a moment. Because if you become too familiar with it, you will no longer expect God to do it. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You know, as I was reading this, the thing that really kind of jumped out to me is God actually spoke this to exiles when he spoke this word. They were exiles in Babylon. So actually, their present circumstance kind of contradicted what God just spoke. Anybody ever been there? So God comes to them when they're in their lowest when they have no hope, and says, I've come to give you hope. Do you know that their self-esteem was at their lowest? They had very little faith in themselves and even lower faith in God. You know what? They were actually experiencing the judgment of God. If you read that whole chapter, God said, I put you there. It was judgment on them. That was the reason while they were in the place they were in. But it's amazing that even when our Father judges us, he still has good plans for us. He still has good plans. Now, I'm going to open up with you guys a little bit while I'm up here. Is that okay? Kind of tell you a little bit about my history? Anybody in here ever been grounded? Grounded. Well, in my house, we called it punishment. We called it punishment. And so... If you were on punishment, that means you had to stay in your room. You were locked in that room. Only time you came out was to eat dinner. And then you go right back to your room. So I remember a time when I was on punishment that seemed like forever. You ever been on punishment so long you forget what it feels like to be outside? That was me. But you know what was so bad about my punishment? It's actually for my room. If I looked out the window, I could see right downstairs where all my friends were playing football. And my parents loved it because it was enclosed and they actually had lights on the grass area. So the parents felt safe to allow us to play there. And then when the street lights or night lights came on, we knew to come upstairs and come home. So for me, every day I came home from school, I got to look out my window and see my friends playing. Man, that was worse than a whooping. Like, after a while, my mom realized that whoopings don't really help me much. 
So she said, I will put him on punishment. And, you know, I was on this punishment so long, I got used to it. Like the first couple of days, up, go to your room. But, man, after a week, I just came home from school, dropped my books off, went right into my room. You know, I got so used to it, I think at one point I actually kind of got institutionalized. Anybody ever saw Shawshank Redemption? You remember when that guy got institutionalized? He couldn't even function outside of it. And I, I didn't even know what it felt like to run on the grass anymore. Do y'all feel sorry for me? But you know what? At a certain point, my mom had to reassure me that she still loved me. Because sometimes when your parents punish you, as a child, you can begin to think, do they still love me? Do they still care about me? I think this is what the children of Israel were feeling. They had been, quote, unquote, on punishment for so long that they didn't even know if God still cared. They didn't know if he was still worried about them. You know, there were times I thought my parents forgot that I was on punishment. I was like, let me remind them. You know, I thought of a couple reasons I want to share with you, but why do we stop expecting good things from God? Why do we stop expecting good things? I think one of them is we're afraid of being disappointed. Like in that story I shared with you, the thing that hurt me the most is I didn't even feel disappointed until someone promised it. If he would have never promised it, I would have not been disappointed. I was okay with it. You know? I just expected, hey, this is my lot in life. I won't experience this. But when someone promises something to you and they don't deliver, it's very disappointing. Now, if we be real, Pastor Joseph was talking about it in our offering, that sometimes the predicaments we're in is our fault. Sometimes we've made unwise choices. And I think sometimes we're disappointed because we have wrong motives. Now, if you would go to James with me, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and starting at verse 3. says, when you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Anybody in here ever prayed and asked God to give them a lot of money? I know I did. Anybody? A couple of people? Okay, man, you guys are deep in here. First service, every hand went up. I prayed God to give me millions. There you go. There's some honesty. But you know, one of the brothers, he shouted out. I asked him, what did you want to get with that money? And he was saying things that he could buy that satisfy his wants. So I asked him, what was the ratio? Like, of the things that you wanted, how many were wants and how many were needs? He said, oh, it was about 80-20. Wants to needs. 80-20. But you know what? A lot of people could relate to that. So many times we ask God to bless us, but do we ever stop and ask, why do I want God to bless me? 
What is my motive? And you know what happens? The enemy jumps on top of that. So uh, sometimes when you ask God for a million bucks, he doesn't give it to you. And so then we become disappointed. We become disillusioned. And the enemy will say, see, God won't answer your prayer. See, he won't give you the desire of your heart. Isn't that in the Bible? That God will give you the desire of your heart? But James says, we ask and we don't receive because we ask with the wrong motives. That we could spend it on our own pleasures. You know, a big thing our Pastor Benjamin has been teaching us is stewardship. Stewardship. You know, there were some things that I remember asking my mother for. She just flat out would not give me. And I was upset with her. Can't she see how much I need this? But you know what? I matured. And I remember even in my 20s going back to my mom and actually thanking her for not giving me some things. You know why? Because I didn't know how to steward them. Had she given it to me, I would have wasted it. I would have squandered it. And so I think sometimes the Lord doesn't answer all of our prayers because he knows we're not ready to steward it yet. I think another reason we're afraid to expect things from God is how many are afraid of or have ever been afraid of being called too spiritual? You hear that word, too spiritual, with the quotes? Too spiritual? Or maybe you're being unrealistic. Now, I actually remember growing up with a friend of my mother's, awesome, awesome woman of God. Loved the Lord, evangelist, used to preach, and people get saved everywhere. But, you know, sometimes I used to think she's too spiritual. I mean, as awesome as she was, sometimes she seemed a little kind of kooky. Because she kind of came up, you know, in that, uh, I guess you call it name it and claim it area. And so I remember her telling my mom and us that the Lord was going to give her this beautiful home in the Oakland Hills. But now at the time, she wasn't working consistently. She was kind of on call, so her money fluctuated, and she didn't work very much, so that was even smaller. And she had a, a teenage son she had to provide for. And so I remember, is that really faith? I remember thinking that. And she even took us to go see the place. And she's all pointing, oh, yeah, this is going to be this room here. I'm going to have this done here. I'm just like, wow, this doesn't add up. And, you know, long story short, she ended up not getting that place. And I remember her feeling somewhat disillusioned. And I think sometimes the enemy plays on that as well. When we allow ourselves to, quote, unquote, become too spiritual. But what is the other end of the spectrum? Keeping it real, right? I think most of us kind of err on that side, on the keeping it real side. Like, let's be realistic here. Come on. And because we tend to do that, we stop a lot of the blessing that the, enemy, that the Father wants to bring to us. Now, I want to give us an example of a perfect person that made it right in the middle. He wasn't too spiritual, but he wasn't too real, realistic. He's the father of faith. What's his name? Abraham. Let's go to Hebrews 12.
Hebrews 12, we'll, we'll start at verse number 19. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Look at that. He did both. He faced the facts. He kept it real. He was realistic. The fact is, in the natural, this ain't happening. I am too old. My wife is too old. Let's hit it home a little more. Some of you singles are getting up there. And what? That voice starts, I'm getting up there. I'm getting up there. Maybe there aren't a lot of men at this church. Maybe there aren't a lot of women my age. Come on. And I'm starting to face the facts that it's not looking good for me. This might just be my lot. Maybe I'm just supposed to be single, just me and Jesus. Even though you know in your heart you don't believe that. Come on. But can you face that fact and still not stagger like Abraham did? Abraham faced the fact but didn't stagger. He said if he promised it, he will bring it to pass. I don't have to make it happen. Look, look at how freeing that is. If God promised you something, you don't have to make it happen. His word is on the line. And he will not allow his word to return void. Let's go back to that first verse, Jeremiah 29 and 11. I want to break it down for you a little bit. Now, the first phrase says, I know the plans I have for you. So God makes us with a plan in mind. Now, I know this might contradict what your parents said, but you are not here by accident. They might not have planned you, but somebody up there did. God had a plan for you in mind. And I have to say this because I want to set some of us free. Some of us have grown up knowing that our parents didn't plan us. And it can make you shrink back when you hear promises. But I love Psalm 139. And actually, you don't have to turn there. I want to just read it to you. Because this is our father. This is what he had in mind when he made you. Psalm 139, starting at verse 13, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, 
I am still with you. I pray that that would shift your thinking. God thinks so much of you that your days were already worked out before you were even conceived. Think about that for a moment. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he had in mind when he planned, when he planned for you. He, so when he says, I have plans for you, he really does have plans for you. Now, I know some parents who try to put some money aside for their kids, but come on now, usually it's when they find out that they're going to have a kid. But even before that, he already walked out the steps for you. Second phrase is plans to prosper you. Now, prosper, it means wholeness. Actually, the Hebrew word is shalom, which means wholeness in every facet of your life. Every facet of your life. You know, you ever had that thought, oh, God's not cared. He's not concerned about this. You ever thought that? Oh, wow, that was just me again. But, you know, sometimes you have those thoughts, oh, God's not concerned about that. I'm saved. I didn't kill nobody. He's not concerned about that. But every facet, Pastor Joseph was hitting hard about our finances. Do you know that God is concerned about your finances? He's concerned about it. You know why? Because they're not yours. They're his. You're just a steward. It's not your money. We really need to strike that word from our vocabulary, my money. It's not your money. It's his money. You are responsible for how you steward it. So he's concerned about that. So those of us that are frivolous in our spending, let's remind ourselves that God is concerned about that. He can't prosper us if we're frivolous. Right? John 3, 1, verse 2, we all hear it so many times. I'll read it for you. It says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. All. See that Every all. You see those words? God is concerned about every facet of our lives. And his desire and his heart is that we would prosper, that we would be whole. You know, I shared it in the first service. How many singles want to get married? Pretty much every hand usually goes up, right? I hope you guys understand that being married won't make you whole. Two halves don't make a whole. Actually, it takes two holes to make one half. To make one whole, I'm sorry. Confused myself with that one. But how many times have the enemy lied to us and said, well, when I get my wife, then these things will come in order. Or when I get this lump sum of money, see, I, I just need this amount of money, then all my finances will come in order. Those are all lies. The third phrase, he says, and not to harm you. You know, I thought about that. Why would God say not to harm you? But if we remember again, they were in a place of judgment. And sometimes when you're being punished or when you're being disciplined, you can almost forget that their parents love you. I remember thinking, man, does my mom really love me? 
What kind of parent will leave their kid on punishment this long? This is not fair. And so God had to remind them that my plans for you are still good. Even when I discipline you, it's because I love you. Now I'm going to read something that may be difficult for us to hear. But I want you to open your heart just like a child has to open their heart to the love of their parents. Hebrews 12, verse 5, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good, in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is a good thing. I know in our Western culture, it's not looked at as a good thing. But discipline is a good thing. Actually, if you are able to pin down most of the police officers, they will tell you they appreciate the parents that discipline their kids. Because that's less they have to lock up. Come on. You know, I remember growing up, my, uh, I pretty, like I said, I pretty much grew up in church, so my parents took me to every service. So Wednesday night Bible study, I was there. Friday night service, I was there. Sunday morning service, I was there. Sunday night service, I was there. I was like these pews. You knew where I was going to be pretty much every week. After a while, my friends stopped asking me, are you coming? Because they already knew. They knew where I was going to be. But, you know, I remember starting to kind of resent that a little bit growing up. And, of course, you know, your friend's going to tease you about it. But... I think one thing happened that really shifted my thinking on that. I played basketball in 11th grade, and my parents, they made it to every one of my games, every single one. And then I remember in the playoffs, our last game, uh, one of the guys who I kind of looked up to, he pulled me aside and he said, man, your parents have been at every game, every game. He's like, my parents have been the one. He's like, man, I wish I had what you got. I would have never thought he would say that to me. Matter of fact, he was the main one making fun of me. And I remember at times people coming over my house, and I would ask them, hey, what time you guys got to get back home? My parents don't care. I'm like, serious? You stay three cities away. Your parents don't care? They don't know where you are? No, they don't know where I'm at. 
My mom's with her boyfriend right now. My dad ain't even home. I'm like, wow. And I remember telling my mom, see, their parents don't care where they are. Come on. You know you said it too. But she said, I'm responsible for you. You are my son. I love you. What if something were to happen and I had no idea where you were, what you were doing? So the times when I'm telling you no, it's because I love you. And I want to say sometimes the Lord has to tell us no because he loves us. You know, the last phrase says, plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, A few weeks back, Pastor Benjamin preached about faith and hope. So I want to read the definition he gave for hope. Hope has to do with your level of expectancy. Hope is the confident expectation of the manifestation of what we have believed. Hope is the confident expectation of the manifestation of what we have believed. Faith is important, but I want to say that the enemy number one thing he attacks is our hope. He attacks our hope. You can believe all day long that God can do something, but if you don't believe he's going to do it for you, it doesn't make a difference. Do you know when we stand in faith and and hope, it's actually an affront to the devil. It scares him. It gets his attention. Even the devils believe that there's a God. But if I say I believe that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, my needs, now the enemy, his ears pop up. And I know you've experienced that. You've ever been at church and said, this is it. I'm standing up for this in this area. As soon as you got home, what? Come on. He heard you. Why? Because that was hope. That wasn't just faith. That was hope you were speaking. You got his attention. So I want to encourage you today. The enemy wants to attack your hope, your level of expectation. He doesn't want you to believe anymore. He wants you to sit back and say, ah, it's better not to believe because what if I step out and God doesn't do it? Come on, everybody in here has said that. What if this isn't God? In this new season, 2013, God's breaking that off. No more what if this isn't God. No more, how many, I've heard this, I'm afraid to say it because the enemy might hear me. I'm afraid to say it because I know what I'm at the face when I get home. I don't even want to believe for this person because I've believed for them for so long. Every time I believe for the matter of fact, they get worse. Come on, how many experienced that with the one you've been praying for? And then what? You don't even feel like praying, huh? Your hope is dashed. God wants to take us to a new level of expectancy. Last thing I want to end with is a dream I had a few, few days ago, actually. 
And my wife can attest to this. I don't dream very often, so this kind of caught my attention. And one thing I know is oftentimes dreams have spiritual significance. So after I had this dream, I took a moment to try to ask God what did it mean. But in this dream, I was climbing up a chain fence, and it was going directly vertical. And so I was climbing up the fence. And I noticed I had joy when I started climbing up this fence. I had joy. I had a sense of purpose. Uh, I don't know how I knew, but somehow I knew that I was supposed to climb all the way to the top of this uh, fence and then get down and start to preach. Now, I don't know how I knew that, but I knew it. So I was climbing up, and I had great joy, great expectancy. And also while I was climbing up, I can hear someone else preaching. And somehow I knew that what they were preaching, I was responsible for. And so that's what I was supposed to preach when I got off. And so I started getting up higher and higher. And um, actually, in the natural, I'm very afraid of heights. I don't like to get very high. And so at a certain point, I kind of started, ooh, I'm getting kind of high up here. And I looked down. I said, okay, I got to keep going. So I kept going. And wouldn't you know it, just like in a movie, my foot slipped. And I was swinging just holding on by my hands to the fence. Now I'm starting to get scared. And guess what? My rational thinking starts to kick in. You know what? This actually doesn't make sense. I am too high. This is not safe. And God gave me a mind, right? I have a sound mind, as a matter of fact. So why am I going up higher? Where it's only going to get more dangerous. And it seems like as soon as I thought that, the voice that was preaching stopped. And then I remember thinking, that wasn't the end. They couldn't be done. But then the second thought I had, aha, that gives me an excuse. Since they're done, then that means I can stop. And that's the excuse I was looking for. And so then I began to slowly make my way back down. Then I woke up. It's real weird. So I'm thinking to myself, what does that mean? And the one thing that the Lord spoke to me was that I had more faith that it was going to get harder as I was going up higher than I was that he was going to give me the grace for it. And that kind of challenged me. And I say that because I believe that was symbolic of many of us. Because up there is uncharted territory. I've never been there before. I don't know what that looks like. But down here is more comfortable. I've been here. I know what that looks like. Matter of fact, my mom, I know how her life went. My grandmother, I know how her life went. Are you following me? So it's more comfortable. But God is calling us to the places that we can't see our way. And he wants to know, what do you expect? Do you expect him to give you grace for that? Or do you have more faith that it's going to be hard than God's going to give you grace? You know, PJ preached in his message, Run Like a Gazelle, that oftentimes we start towards a goal, but then we start making excuses when it gets hard start making excuses, and we stop short of our goal. 
And I know everyone in of us in here has experienced that. But I believe this next level for 2013 that God wants to take us, we no longer accept that. Even if it's hard for me, even if physically I'm uncomfortable, I have more expectation that God is going to give me grace than that is going to be hard. Many times, if you look, even with the children of Israel, many things they couldn't experience in fullness because they had more faith that it was going to be hard than that God would give them the grace for it. And many of us have lived, come on, let's be honest, most of our lives that way. Well, at least I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not sleeping around anymore. That's got to count for something. God is saying, that's not what I saved you for. The children of Israel stopped in the wilderness. They forgot that he planned for them to have the land of milk and honey. They stopped short. So many times we stop short because we expect things to be hard rather than God's going to give us the grace for it. I'm going to close. I ask you to close your eyes. Let's get specific for a moment. And I want to ask you, and take a moment, really get specific. What do you expect God to do in this new year, 2013? Don't just say things will be better. Don't just say that things will improve, but specifically, what do you expect God to do in this new year? So take a moment, think about it. And then when you get that thing, I want you to take a step of faith and stand up. And I want to encourage you, if you've been afraid to think this, been afraid to speak this, and this is probably the Lord prompting you. It may be an area that you fought for a long time. God said grace is available to you for 2013. Whatever that mountain is, God says it's going to fall in 2013. It's going to fall. Do you expect it? Do you believe it? It'll be unto you as your faith. Come on, think about it specifically. What do you want to see change in 2013? What has God been putting his finger on in your life? He says grace is available now. No fear. No fear. God's love casts out all fear. You don't have to do it yourself. He said grace is available to you. This is not about willpower. If it was willpower, we wouldn't need grace. Come on. Exercise your faith. What do you expect God to do? Come on, take a step of faith. Do not allow the enemy to withhold what God has freely laid out for you. 
Do you want your destiny? Do you want your destiny? He's already given you salvation, but I'm asking you, do you want your destiny? If you want your destiny, you've got to take a step of faith. I'm going to give you a few more moments. Get that thing and stand up as a declaration of faith and expectancy in God. Father, this is a holy moment. We thank you, God, that in this season you are taking us to the waters of the Jordan. And unlike before, you're asking us to put our feet in the water. You're asking us to put our feet in the water and watch you move and make a path. God, for some, this has been a long journey. So we thank you, God, that you are renewing their hearts and their minds, giving them a new level of expectancy. We thank you, God, that in this season we are going to stand and see the salvation of our Lord. God, I just cancel out every lie of the enemy. Even when we leave this place, God, regardless to how we feel, our hope will not be shaken. We will expect you to do what only you can do. So, Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. It sets us free. It lifts us to a new level. We honor you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.